politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen to the one and only CR podcast here on the last day of the first month of what hopefully won't be our last year of freedom. It is Wednesday, folks, and we are still the only one-stop shop of truly independent conservative news views, strategies, outcomes, and really the only movement that exists. But it doesn't have to be this way. It really doesn't have to be this way. And I want you guys to understand clearly this has been the theme so far this year. That within our own sphere of influence, when I say our, I mean the people who claim to be based and focused on on what matters and we understand the time of year and time of life and we're going to do what's right, that whole crowd, if we only focused on the part of the country which is pretty substantial, where the majority of people agree with us, they just you know don't know the ins and outs of politics and policy, so they'll, they'll follow whatever you tell them to do. If we only focused on that, we would have a different half of the country. And I would argue that that half of the country being so divergent um, and so intrepid in its uh, way of governing would actually influence the other half as well and serve as at least somewhat as a check and balance on the runaway left. But alas, we don't have that. And the reason we don't have that is because we have nothing but bread and circuses. Last week, we thought we had this substance where we finally were focused on on the border and state powers and fighting judicial supremacism. But really, that whole thing itself was a fraud designed by the controlled opposition like Greg Abbott. So that this week, it's all about literally Taylor Swift. It's unbelievable. I mean, every day and week, the conservative media circles the drain more than we could have ever imagined. Roman, the, the famous Ro- Roman poet Juvenile said, you know, as, as uh, Rome started going downhill second century, already long ago from when we sold our vote to no man, the people have abdicated our duties for the people who once upon a time handed out military command, high civil office, legions, everything now restrains itself and anxiously hopes for just two things, bread and circuses. And folks, that, that's what just keeps everyone distracted while our people are doped up on bread and, and, and circuses. The Fox News conservative media mindless heroine, the left just comes in without a fight. And not just you know, takes over the federal government and the deep state, and certainly the blue states. But even the red states, they have a 50-state, 3,100-county strategy. And in most spheres of policy that matter, education, healthcare in particular, child care, like we're going to talk about today, child protective services, all these agencies of government, they are just as bad on social and fiscal policies in the red states as in the blue states. And, and, and it, I just want to make it clear, it doesn't have to be that way. 
It's not Taylor Swift doing that. It's not the liberal media. It's not the Democrats. It is conservative media, almost like a scorpion, just stinging people and paralyzing them. So you, just, you, you can't move. And then the left just comes in and wins by acclamation simply by being the only team on the field. It doesn't have to be this way. Proverbs 17.24, a discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. And that's what we try to do here. Keep wisdom in view. What is it within our domain that we could accomplish on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter? I still can't think of a better slogan for this show because that's really what we're about. But everyone else is always just looking at everything else but what actually matters. And that's why, you know, you know the funny thing? I saw somewhere, and I've heard this, that at Shelby Park now, Texas DPS has a flag hanging saying, come and get it. You know, like an act of defiance to the feds. And then literally a few miles away, not only are the illegals coming through, but DPS is working with Border Patrol to process them in. <laughs> that, that, that's a metaphor for everything that is going on in so-called right-leaning politics and has been the last number of years. The, the, the problem I have with my colleagues is that what, what they are giving over to Republican voters is the worst mix of all. They're black-pilled about everything that is actually in their domain to fix except for Mitt Trump, for which they're completely white-pilled. But in fact, what we should be is red-pilled on everything. Meaning, red alarm fire, this is really bad, we're going to lose it if we don't do anything, but there is something to do and let's go do it. As opposed to, they're, they're just black-pilled, like, oh, it, it's lost, it's lost. But then, but then at the same time, see, if they're completely black-pilled, so then maybe at some point we could get them red-pilled in somewhere to just act out very strongly to fight the system. But then they're not really black-pilled because they're white-pilled, like, it's all good. We got Fox. We got Trump. We got Brian Ferguson. And they're pathetic. So the left continues to win even in our domain. It, th th this whole thing of th the new shtick on the right is to rhetorically go... 10 levels away on the Overton window of what we could achieve and what we need to achieve needlessly turn off swing voters with certain statements that are just beyond the pale or even if they're right, it's just it's just not where it's at. But then they won't even go one, two levels over in the red states to just get involved in the primaries and the legislative sessions and actually do something on the things they claim to care about. So it's like, I don't know. Oh, we just need a civil war. Well, how about actually not supporting rhinos that Trump supports? You know, how about actually getting on the playing field? And I want to show you exactly what that looks like. But first, I'd be remiss if I just didn't point out in the news yesterday. Again, we don't have the luxury of bread and circuses. See, I actually believe in the existential rhetoric of my colleagues more than they do, which is why we can't afford to be black-pilled in general, but white-pilled with Trump. We have to be red-pilled. Six pro-life activists were found guilty in federal court yesterday 
under the FACE Act simply for protesting outside a Nashville abortion clinic. Literally just praying and singing. That's all they did. And they face potentially up to 11 years in prison. Remember that uh, we have tens of thousands of people that burned, beat, looted, stole, even killed. And almost none of them ever even got prosecuted. And if they did, they got, you know, charges dropped, suspended sentence, probation at worst. So it's not like we could laugh our way out of this. I wish that were true. I wish we could own our libs and Taylor Swift our way out, out of this. But we can't. Again, I will repeat this until I'm blue in the face. The left crafts ephemeral talking points in pursuit of their fixed objectives. The right crafts ephemeral uh, objectives in pursuit of fixed talking points. They have a permanent talking point. Oh, that left. Uh, look at that. They have a couple of like buttons they press on the wind-up toy that they want to achieve, so they'll just latch on to anything in order to achieve that. But just know, it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm going to start off with states, and then maybe if we have time, we'll go to the federal uh, circumstance, the federal circus. But we'll start off with Montana and South Dakota. And my goal is to empower you. Join our ConAction teams, ConAction.network. By the way, we do need team leaders in both Montana and South Dakota. Um, I have a lot of contacts in South Dakota. I just don't have a um, team ready. We do have some of you signed up. We need a team leader. I want to show you how easily, easily, I mean, you cannot imagine how easy it is. You want to talk about owning the libs? We could own them tomorrow in half of America, but we don't do it. It's right in front of our noses, right in front of it. Now, first, our sponsor today, our long-term friends at Birch Gold. Uh, Right now, most of you probably are getting your final documents that you need, your 1099s and, you know, interest uh, uh, dividends documents that you could fully do your tax return for 2023. And those of you who have money left over like I do, rather than giving it to the feds, take another deduction with an IRA or 401k, but don't put it into the stock market. Put it into something of value with gold um, headed forward. We have a uniparty. We, we have breads and circuses. This is literally the fall of Rome. It would be nice to have something, a nest egg of value by texting Daniel to 989898 today. Birch will send you a free info kit on gold and silver which is a good investment. Um, silver is uh, is not at an all-time high. Gold is, but so is the stock market. And we're talking about long-term here. You never lose out on gold. So again, they, they have real um, deposits for you. A couple areas in the country where you could put it in a physical form and it's there for you. By the way, I um, just wanted to say there's a number of bills that we, we have throughout the red state legislatures, even some blue state ones, they're they're not going to go anywhere. But it's something we really need to push. If you want to talk about parallel economies, screwing the system, collapsing the system on itself, but but evacuating ourselves with a Noah's Ark, it gets back to currency. And there's a number of bills around, you know, starting to um, have the state recognize gold or silver as legal tender 
uh, for either payment or you know savings. Uh, there's also an interesting bill. There might be a few of them. This is the one I know, Texas SB 2334, which would uh, work great with a concept like what Birch Gold is doing. It allows accounts for gold. So where you, you could physically, you could buy physical gold and then have a debit card that draws against against it in that account. So, I mean, that would literally protect you from inflation. Um, Texas SB 2334, look it up and try to get that proposed in every state that is in session and the few that you could still introduce legislation. But anyway, uh, back to the ad, text Daniel to 989898 to claim your free info kit again. Um, because, folks, when the blank hits the fan, it would be sure nice to own something of value. So let's start off with Montana. Again, Montana, beautiful state. It, it Rugged individualism. I mean, th- this should be the paradigm of, of freedom. God, guns, freedom. And there's a big story that I'm sure a lot of you have seen about the child family services there, uh, allegedly taking a kid and and then working on transitioning the girl to a boy, um, taking it away from the parents. And I've refrained from commenting the last two days directly on it because, you know, a lot of times when you have a situation like this, by definition, it's a minor, so it's confidential. So if the parents speak out, the state can't really defend itself, so you you only get one side of the story. But I am now confident, based on what I'm hearing and know from people that interviewed the parents, and in general what the governor has done on broadly on this issue last session, that even in the worst view of the parents, that there's stuff that we don't know, there still are some serious things that clearly were done that are appalling to be done in a a red state, and there clearly are things that need to be done to rein in child protective services, probably in all 50 states, but certainly in Montana. And it just underscores that we think we have these red states, and we could have them. We could own them in one legislative session if we got, if we marshaled a fraction of the Grifticon to this sort of stuff. We would own them, and, and, and we have examples of this every day. When we actually harness attention, these guys are scared of anything. They're scared. That's the difference between a red state and a blue state. In a, in a red state, their whole model is playing a duplicitous double game to make pretend like they're conservative while doing the opposite. If you blow that cover and get on their case, it will end tomorrow. You either force them out or you force change. Whereas in a blue state, I mean, I live in Maryland. I mean, there's nothing they could do to lose power. So they don't care. That's the difference. You know, I am fully black-pilled when it comes to blue states. And that's why we have to be red-pilled with red states, because we won't have anywhere else to run soon enough. But here's the deal. We've talked about this before. We talked about it last year. The need to reform due process with child child family services in the red states that it has become clear that while it is a balance because, you know, if you if you find uh, 
you know, parents that are like torturing their kid or something, you want to be able to save the kid. But at the same time, the balance of power with due process, evidentiary standards, the entire process of their ability to, you know, the threshold to investigate, the threshold to remove the, pro, you know, the kind of guilty until proven innocent sort of dynamic, the whole process swings too far towards state power over the power of the individual parent. And particularly during an era like this, when we have, when we're living in a society where the left believes that things that you and I do with our kids are downright child abuse, when in fact what they're doing is the abuse, you know, whether it's education, whether it's vaccination, okay, whether it's, um, and now up to the point of cutting a kid's balls off, you know, now you send your kids to school and we have so much mental illness with kids. We've talked about this with Dr. Peter McCullough that part of why you have this gender dysphoria crisis, in addition to, you know, the fact that culture and the, you know, po body politic just grooms kids and the media and social media, but also you do have record, record mental illness, which is also a result of, you know, what they're doing and culminating with the COVID lockdowns. So, any mental illness, and, and particularly autism, but others as well, they'll be the most vulnerable to um, gender dysphoria. In other words, rarely do you have a kid that is 100% just totally normal and, and mentally, physically, emotionally healthy, but just like, I really want to be the opposite gender. So that almost never happens. So this is part of the broader problem that, that we have and you might think, well, Daniel, yeah, that's that's what they tried to do in Maine to take away kids from parents that didn't want to so-called trans the kid. Uh, but, you know, that's not going to happen in red states. But as we've noted, Child Protective Services, which is usually under the auspices of like the equivalent of HHS, you know, the health department of a state or something similar. Except for in Florida. It is run by a leftist from the cabinet pick, much less the deep state sort of uh, mid-level career bureaucrats in these departments. And Montana is obviously no different. So the news was broken earlier this week in a website, Redux, R-E-D-U-X-X. -X, I never heard of it, actually. But um, they, they interviewed, and they have a video out from Krista and Todd Kolstad. Todd was an Air Force veteran. Krista is his second wife, so the, the, there's a 14-year-old daughter here that's the subject of the case in Glasgow, Montana, and uh, so so Todd's the father, but but Krista is the is a stepmother, but she's been taking care of her for for seven years, and they allege that the um, previous biological mother who's now on a second marriage to another man living in Ontario, Canada has been out of the picture. And we'll get to that in a minute. And basically uh, this is their, their side of the story. Their side of the story is that in August of last year, 2023, uh, their 14 year old daughter that's called Jennifer, just kind of in the news reports, probably not the real name. Um, it was, you know, having a lot of problems that unfortunately a lot of 14 year old girls in particular are having a lot of mental problems, um, you know, just behavioral problems. And one day they get a call from police that she texted her a friend in school that, you know, kind of suicidal thoughts and she comes home and then she kind of started saying that, 
she swallowed Drano or, or disinfected dangerous things. So that triggered a visit from Montana Child and Family Services, CFS. And, you know, but, you know, they, they were obviously scared. So the family, I think, was willing to bring the kid to this Montana hospital. I don't know which hospital. I'm not sure if that's been named. Um, but we, we ought to know that. And, and you'll see why. So um, it turned out that, you know, they, they found no traces of that in her body. So, again, you know, she was kind of seeking attention, as anyone who's struggling with that would do. And, and thankfully, she really was not, you know, she, it's not like she was in imminent physical danger uh, because she did not drink anything that was chemically dangerous to her. Uh, again, this is their their story, their side of the story. And, and they have shown, you know, some documentation of it from the hospital, um, especially with this. They showed the report on that that she was clean. But the entire time, the hospital kept referring to the girl as Theo. And I think, again, I think this is coming from the girl is suffering from this. Um, but the parents are like, no, I mean, she's a minor and they have control over it and stop, stop encouraging that. But they kept calling her that, encouraging that. Uh, they claim that they brought it up, you know, that Montana is one of the states that passed the law, SB or HB 99, that, that bans this sort of stuff. But they said, well, that's only... Balls cutting, not pronouns. So that is something that Montana needs to make sure they clarify in law in every state. That's something that every state should do, that the pronouns have to go by what the parents say, um, even if the kid says otherwise. And the entire time they were doing that, and then eventually, to cut to the chase, a month later, C- uh, CFS m- transferred the kid out of Montana to uh, another facility in Wyoming without the parents' um, permission. They said they had no contact with her the entire time. Again, you have to understand what's going on here. This is one side of the story. Um, But Wyoming is a state. Now, you might think, oh, they went to Washington State. They went to California where you could do transing because it's against the law in Montana. No, they went to Wyoming where... Mark Gordon and Speaker Albert Summers and Mark Gordon just won re-election with 80% of the Republican primary vote opposed the Freedom Caucus's Chloe's Law to ban this last session. So it was actually okay to do that in Wyoming. Imagine going to Wyoming to do this and they claim that the entire time they transitioned her, not clear to me how physical, you know, do they have evidence of that or it's more just emotionally doing that? The point is that they're the entire time treating her like that and then eventually brought her back. And then the reason why it's in the news now is because um, on January 19th, the judge basically ruled that the daughter is fully permanently going to remain in CFS custody, um, stripped them of all their rights. And they're, I, I, I'm confused by different reports, whether their intent is to send her to Canada to this biological mother um, or... Um, she already is there. And all the while, the state of Montana is treating the girl like a boy under the name Theo. Okay. Now, so far, all we have from the government is this. We have Montana's governor, Greg Gianforti. So when conservatives start to harp on this, again, this just shows that they feel the pressure. They feel the pressure. I mean, look, even in Maine, we were able to block that bill when we raised awareness to it. So certainly in a red state, 
and he felt he had to respond. So he put out a a Twitter thread basically saying he looked, he asked his lieutenant governor to look into it, and he found that DPHHS, right, their health department and the courts have followed the state policy and law in their handling of this tragic case. So basically nothing to see here. Very categorical. Now, all the while, I'm thinking, okay, you know, you know, before I get really mad and blow up, it is confidential. Only one side could talk about it, although the court's trying to demand that the parents now take down their videos and put a gag order on them. And the governor can't really talk about the circumstance. And maybe there is something more to it. But then in a later statement, the governor's spokesperson, Caitlin Price, said, quote, Broadly speaking, broadly speaking, the state does not remove minors from homes to provide gender transition services or use taxpayer funds to pay for those services while a minor is in custody of the state. <laughs> like th- Broadly speaking, we tend not to do that. The point is, based on the evidence and the feel that I'm getting from just both sides, the broad fact pattern is true. The broad fact pattern is true. Now, just to be clear, is this a case where we have an upstanding, amazing, immaculate family that just you know has a daughter that unfortunately was suffering from this and the state just grabbed her? Probably not, right? They, they, I, I did hear something about um, marriage counseling being suggested. This is probably something going on there, okay? There is something going on there. There's no question that it's not just immaculately they just grabbed the kid out of nowhere. But the broad fact pattern that the state of Montana and hospitals of Montana and hospitals of Wyoming are engaging in this seems to more than likely be true and is not being denied. Meaning, number one, that the state... Officials are engaging in the balls cutting agenda seems to be true. And number two, that broadly speaking, there is not there is too much power over the parents and they have no ability to get back their power and that they're too alacritous to grab a kid and to completely shut out the parents from any decision making. That is true. And the fact that we need legislation is true. And that leads me to another piece of evidence, which is why I feel comfortable in bashing this piece of crap as a governor. And, th- and everyone was telling me, Daniel, I'll never forget. They're like, don't just talk about DeSantis. We have an amazing governor in, in Montana. I was like, no, you don't. Oh, he might be second tier. <laughs> but second tier Republican governors are, are hell. And that just shows you how bad it is. This is how bad it is. Because here's what I do know. He evidently has a non-binary kid himself, whatever that even means. So just hold that thought. Last year, and maybe I reported on this at the time, so the legislature passed HB 37. And it actually had, not only do Republicans have a supermajority, but most Democrats um, support it. It was a bipartisan bill that would have required CFS caseworkers to obtain a judicial warrant before removing a child. And I think, and it had emergency exceptions, but I I think that is something we shall agree with. And it seems like most of the Democrats signed on to the bill. 
and they voted for it. It also ensured that substance use and disorderly living conditions do not equate to physical or psychological harm. And and I agree with that. I mean, you know, I am very against drugs and, and a drug house and all that stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, again, on the balance of power, there's a lot of things that you and I wouldn't like going on in, in a lot of homes. But we cannot allow that to be a threshold, you know, dysfunctional stuff and whatever to be on par with physical or psychological harm to remove a child, especially given the way government is these days. That That's just the, the pendulum needs to swing more the other way. It also requires the courts to um, schedule initial hearings more quickly because this is always the problem. They take them away and then it takes forever. It's kind of a guilty until proven process. There, there's, there's other reforms we need to make. Despite passing overwhelmingly, it was overridden. It was it was vetoed by the governor, and then for whatever reason they couldn't override it, even though they had enough votes initially. But what tends to happen is that Republicans tend to be reluctant to override their own governor, and this is the problem. So again, I want I want to you know so 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 this is Montana. So that's why I'm no longer giving Gianforti the benefit of the doubt, because here's what I can tell you. Even in the work, if there's information that the parents did this, parents did that, but there's problems with what the state is doing, and that needs to be rectified. Oh, but whoop-de-doo, we have a 365-day-a-year operating CFS and health department and bureaucracy that turns brings blue values into a red state, but our only recourse to fighting back, which is in the legislatures, oh, they meet for three minutes, Every other year. So Montana is out of session the entire year and won't be in session until 2025. Now, they did try to get back in session. But thanks to the lack of governor support and, you know, a couple of rhinos joining with the Democrats. I believe they need a 60% threshold or two-thirds threshold, I'm forgetting, to trigger a special session. They had a majority, but they didn't have a supermajority. Because they wanted a special, I'm sorry, I jumped there, not on this, but on property taxes. Because, you know, everyone's moving to Montana now and uh, property uh, prices are going up, so property taxes are skyrocketing. Refuses to even, I mean, even on the tax issue, you would think that would be something that a typical Republican would would join in, but no. So Gene Forty owes us support for a special session on that alone. And once he's doing that, he owes us a special session to deal with this. But again, broadly speaking, I just want to give you a sense of what is going on. And Montana appears to be one of the most aggressive CFSs from my from what, what I'm seeing with the data and the research. But as I said before, according to the feds, HHS's um, uh, ACYF, what is that called? Uh, Administration on Children, Youth, and Families. Federal data from fiscal year 2019. So not not too long ago. Probably pretty similar every year. Child Protective Services agencies around the country received 4.4 million referrals involving alleged mistreatment or maltreatment of 7.9 million children. Approximately 3.5 million children subject to these referrals were deemed credible enough to investigate. Okay? So about half. About half investigated. 
but just 16.7% of the children investigated, meaning 16.7% of the half that they deemed good, you know, fit for investigation ultimately found or you know, conclusively that the victims the children were victims of abuse or neglect. So in other words, just 7% of the original cohort of children for whom referrals were lodged were actually found to be in danger, just 7%. So what that demonstrates in general is that we have to tighten up the laws. And again, what are they? We need a judicial warrant before removal except in extraordinary cases. We need the state being prohibited from taking a child when a parent questions any treatment, a medical treatment or seeks a second opinion. The parent has the final say in medical decisions. No medical kidnapping. We need... um you know, a provision stipulating that an investigation or removal can only be triggered by a known instance of abuse or neglect. It's been known. And a parent cannot lose their child because of medical, political, or religious beliefs or decisions. In general, no state agency can support or foster any transgender medical care, counseling, or use of wrong pronouns. And that's obviously not just in the context of Child Protective Services, but, you know, anything. But, you know, most red states still have not categorically banned all that. Texas did pass a good bill last year on ensuring that reports to abuse hotlines cannot be anonymous. So if you're going to report someone, you have to give your name, address, phone number. Um, also, the, Texas passed HB 730 in the last special session, which required child protective caseworkers to notify parents of their right to refuse searches, drug tests, or interviews with children. Because a lot of times they don't know. They come in, they think it's like the police with a warrant. Um, so, you know, that is that is really important. So we need a special session in Montana, but we need this in every state. But again, what I'm trying to show you is that, you know, it is it is so, so problematic so, so problematic what we are seeing in red states, but it so, so doesn't have to be that way. You see the um, the firestorm that this is creating, and the state is feeling the pressure. I cannot tell you how powerful conservative media can potentially be if they only wielded this influence evenly, consistently, in a sustained fashion. If we would create a political kill zone for communist and cultural Marxist policies that there will be no cultural Marxism, there will be no global warming, no illegal aliens, no no vaccination fascism. None of this happens within the auspices of this state. None of the personnel within the departments of health or education can do this. Anyone who is will be named and shamed, whether they're an elected official or a bureaucrat. We have the power to do this. And that leads me to my next example, which is South Dakota. So yesterday, I this has been reported in local media because it passed the Senate there, Senate Bill 17 in South Dakota. But I kind of blew this up nationally with nothing but a Twitter post. Okay, just, just a tweet. That's all I did. What's the bill? It was introduced by the chair of the Committee on State Affairs, who's also the Senate Majority Leader, 
Um, Senator Casey Crabtree, big rhino there in South Dakota. And it says on the bill it was introduced on behalf at the request of the Secretary of State, whose name is Monet Johnson. And this bill repeals a law in South Dakota that requires a 30-day registration for voting. So in other words, that you have to have lived in the state for 30 days before registering to vote. So you can't just kind of do a drive-by. And number two, it so, so, so this reverses that, that you can literally register the same day you move in. But then here's the kicker. Number two is what constitutes moving in? So it used to be a permanent dwelling, right? You have to have a, some sort of a house or apartment. Now it just, it could be anything. It could be an RV. You could pitch a tent. You could have a P.O. box. And evidently, because South Dakota is one of these states with, um, has no uh, income tax, it also has some you know lower taxes on some other things. So you have a lot of retirees, you have a lot of RV people that just park themselves in South Dakota temporarily. And they're kind of either stateless or they're technically from a certain state. But, you know, they're kind of just traveling around a lot and they specifically pick South Dakota. Now, why would you want, you know, it's nice to encourage people to move in, but why would you want to give the franchise to anyone who could park themselves under a bridge right before election day, register to vote right away, and vote in your election? Why are you trying to do that? And I still don't understand who is lobbying for this. I don't get I mean, it's the Secretary of State's office that introduced this. I don't get it, but it flew through the Senate 31 2, flew through the House State Affairs Committee 11 to 2, and it was about to be brought to the floor really even today or tomorrow. And then I just I just made fun out of this on Twitter. I blew it up. It was like at a time that we're trying to move away from these same day registrations, we're trying to tighten up voter security. Why would you basically encourage people that prima facie, you know they're not really in staters to vote in your elections? Why? Why would you do that? Again, I would understand in a swing state why Democrats would want to do it. But I I, I don't I don't I honestly don't know why. I mean, I don't know if there's evidence that these RVers are more pro-rhino than they would are sort of candidates in primaries. I don't know why they would do that. And they say, well, the courts will strike it down. I mean, there's other states. South Dakota is not the only state with a registration period, you know, that you have to um you know, be domiciled in the state for for some sort of period of time before you vote. It's just, why would you do that? So I put it on Twitter, and it blew up there. And the House and Senate leadership were talking about me. And from what I've heard, I mean, we're not there yet. And if you're in South Dakota, you need to say no to SB 17. But guess what? Christy Nome wants to be vice president, and she doesn't want bad press. So I I suspect she might be involved in that too. And this is little old me. I'm a small, I'm you know, I'm not Mark Levin, Glenn Beck, uh, you know, Sean Hannity, Ben Shapiro, Steve Bannon, Charlie Kirk. Little old me with one tweet. You focus on a very specific issue that if the base would only know what you're doing, they would be incensed they really get very scared. 
And I'm telling you this because I want to empower you guys. It really is that easy. If we really had a consistent movement doing what I do in every red state, holding these people accountable legislatively and simultaneously working on primaries, the sky is the limit to what we could achieve. The sky is the limit to what we could achieve. If we would only switch from state primaries to to conventions, the sky is the limit to how many primaries we can get, how many people we can knock off in primaries, incumbents, that is, and how much of a long-term cascading effect of deterrent that would have during legislative sessions for people not to cross us because they would know how easy it is. We, everything I am proposing is in our hands. Like it says in Deuteronomy, it is in your mouth and your heart to do. It's close to you. You can do it. You don't have to go overseas or to heavens, like it says. Again, one of the last chapters in Deuteronomy. You're able to do that. But we don't do it. Instead, we dope up our people on stupidity, make them either dumb, reactionary, impotent, distracted. And then, you know, so so we talked about the legislative part of it. Then there is the um, primary part. Like I said, I mean, in the Dakotas, Christy Noem is going to be termed out next cycle. It's not this one, but 2026 midterms. From what I'm hearing, Dusty Johnson, the at-large congressman from South Dakota, he wants to run for governor. Are we working on ensuring that can never happen? Dusty Johnson is part of the Tuesday group rhinos, big global warming guy. Again, to the left of leadership, to the left of Kevin McCarthy types. That guy shouldn't be able to lift his head up to run for governor in a state like that if we were doing our job. But, you know, unless we change our game, he'll likely win. Walk right into it. And and like I've been talking about North Dakota, you have Kelly Armstrong, similar to Dusty, at-large, Rhino Tuesday group, global warming guy, focuses on global warming, Ukraine, high-skilled visas. And then he just, in his spare time, he introduces a litany of pro-criminal bills on House Judiciary Committee as a trial lawyer, public defender, or criminal defendant. And he's running for governor. And from what it, what it looks like is that the lieutenant governor, another rhino, Tammy Miller, is also going to run. He's going to get she's going to get Doug Burgum support, and you know what that means? It's very likely Burgum will bring in Trump to support Tammy Miller. So two things: number one, you have in that case probably multiple, possibly three rhino candidates running. So there's no runoff. We could easily win with one conservative. But on the other hand, we have this threat of Trump once again coming in against us. Like, is it too much to ask? Okay, is it too much to ask for Steve Bannon and Charlie Kirk and Jack Posobiec and all these guys, that whole cabal that's out there in Arizona at the new new version of CPAC, You guys claim Trump is God, and you claim that you have so much influence and power there in Mar-a-Lago. So if that's true, is it too much to ask 
that you could guarantee us that he's not going to support people like Tammy Miller, that he's not going to continue to have a Lindsey Graham relationship with Doug Burgum. Oh, and a Lindsey Graham relationship with uh, Lindsey Graham. I mean, is it too much to ask? This is what is so frustrating. But this is what happens when you have reactionary, mindless, unbridled, populist grift. You land in the same place that you're decrying with your talking points. You wind up, make the establishment great again. Make America gay again. Bruce Jenner's awesome. Just mindless. It doesn't have to be this way. And look, we have an Iowa. You saw that Michael Cassidy, he's the um, military veteran who knocked down that satanic display in the state capitol. He was just charged by the local DA with a hate crime. How does that happen in Iowa? And once it did, the state legislature should have an emergency bill to countermand whatever authority is allowing that to be included in hate crimes. Frankly, we shouldn't have hate crimes at all because if you're tough on real crime, you don't need it. And then, you know, it could only work the other way. And yeah, I mean, the governor, Governor Kim Reynolds, should make it clear. I mean, maybe she did privately. I don't know. Now, I I haven't looked in, in it completely, but I think Iowa's one of the states, from what I can see, that the governor has pretty clean, unilateral... Um, pardoning authority. There might be, there is a a board of pardons, but I think it's mainly just recommendations. It's not, they don't share power. It's not really binding. The governor could do what they want. Now, they cannot, I don't think they could preemptively pardon before a conviction. Um, but that that is something we should be all over. You see what I mean? There needs to be a kill zone, a political kill zone perimeter in red states we have the ability to create that and by the way once we're at this i know we've gone through most of the time as always i spent more time than i wanted to but i think this was important let's just go to federal stuff here is a clip from politico interviewing kevin kramer he is the senator from um from north dakota lamenting our opposition to Lankford's Ukraine open borders deal. Take a listen right here. Here's what I worry about. If we don't try to do something when we have the moment to do something, all of those swing voters in swing states for whom the border is the number one priority have every right to look at us and go, you blew your opportunity. We were ready to give you a shot and you blew it. I don't see that as a, coming back as a reward to us. If we don't try, then shame on us. Okay, folks. So you heard that. You heard that. He's like, we have to do something. Do something. Do something. Swing voters. Wait, what? How about the do something filibustering, and they have that ability, Schumer's budget bill, so it allows the House to pass a good budget bill, defunding the border stuff, HR2 in it, and you filibuster Schumer's. People forget that. Republicans have control of the House, and they have veto-enabling minority, like a strong one. Meaning, you could afford to lose some Republicans and still filibuster. There's 49 Republicans, you only need 41 to filibuster. But people like Kramer, 
fully side with the left. This guy's from North Dakota. Now you might be thinking, Daniel, this guy needs to be primary the hell out of here. Well, I got news for you. He happens to be in cycle. The primary is this June. But to my knowledge, there's no challenger. You know why? Because Meta Trump endorsed him. And no, he didn't just turn into a leftist with this statement. He, um, he's always been that way. This is from the Politico article. They interviewed all these, um, all these senators. Um, where is this? They interviewed Cornyn and all these other guys. And they interviewed Kramer said the very people who demanded that we have something on the border as part of the supplemental suddenly all these months later they don't want to do something Kramer praised Lankford now a bunch of Republican senators are throwing him under the bus because it's more convenient politically than explaining the merits of it and then some of you might have heard of this again we're talking a lot about the Dakotas today to, to demonstrate the problem, Senator Mike Rounds. And by the way, he was, what, 2016 he got in or 2014? I can't remember. Again, there's a paper trail of me opposing him and warning about him. Senator Mike Rounds is a, like, AI bot retard. I mean, he's, like, autistic or something. Um, he said that I suspect that a lot of the internet rumors are very well coming from overseas. Um, he basically said... It's the Russian, the Russians are opposing the Langford deal to codify into law uh, over 1.5 million illegals being legalized through the border every year. That's, that's like an internet rumor, even though that's literally what they're negotiating and no one denies it. Again, Donald Trump endorsed Mike Rounds in 2020 after we had a term of him screwing us. I, I don't know how to say this stronger. All four senators from that area, in fact, all six, if you want to include Nebraska, in fact, all eight, if you want to rope in Iowa there, adjoining area, are horrible, horrible, full-spectrum leftists. Um... They quote Shelley Moore Capito in this article too. Another leftist rhino pro-abortion, by the way, pro-amnesty rhino, full-spectrum leftist, um, who is the senator from West Virginia. I mean, I don't know what to do. Trump went and between 2018, 2020, 2022, and now 2024, he has endorsed every single rhino senator with no exceptions. Needlessly. What do you want me to tell you? We're not changing nothing. Pathetic. Meanwhile, you go to Florida, and one thing after another, it's accomplishment after accomplishment. There was a Palestinian student in Central University of Florida, shouldn't be there, was arrested for threatening Jewish students. Again, it's not freedom of speech. Some people were worried about that. It's not. The law they passed, it's, um, it's uh, you know, you don't have the right to, he threatened to shoot up a crowd of Jews. They went after him. Um, 
you know, one of the most vexing things in Florida is the flood insurance problem. Um, just because you have this bomb of people building up, you know, whatever, building up the coastlines that we didn't have in previous generations. We've never had this expensive infrastructure so vulnerable to flooding, so it's naturally expensive. There was also a lot of tort problems, a lot of fraud problems. Rick Scott screwed it up. DeSantis inherited a big problem. He dealt with it. People were like, and people are criticizing him that somehow the market didn't change literally within a day. But here it is. Six new homeowners insurers announced they're entering the state market. So, again, accomplishments there. But we don't, we don't want that. We don't want that. And finally, I just want to, you know, I've criticized Trump. But I want to I wanna end off on a different note. Go to Texas. We've had this rhino, terrible speaker, Dade Phelan, a drunkard. Horrible leftist. Trump endorsed David Covey, a challenger, to Dade Phelan. And you see how easy it is when you actually get it, get, get him focused. I'm sure it's going to make a difference. Now, to be clear, this is personal. It's not like he cares about Dade Phelan being a tool of the you know, teachers union and being a leftist on every issue. It has to do with Ken Paxton and impeachment. That's all he understands. Impeachment and name. So he's close with Paxton. Paxton came to him and was like, I want this guy out. He was the guy who orchestrated impeachment. And again, that's fine. I don't, I don't you know, I don't care. I'm just trying to think, say it's not just that suddenly don't, don't think Trump is suddenly focused on the issues that matter and the way they matter. And he's suddenly signaling he's going to get involved generally uh, across the board on the right side of primaries. I know exactly where this is coming from, but that's fine. The point is, you see, it doesn't have to be this way. We are facing left-wing annihilation of our prosperity, our values, and our security in red state America to the point that we're not going to have a place to run to, a place to flee to. But we still have the ability to turn around red states. We still do. And it is so easy. Okay, don't let anyone tell you, oh, it's it's we're coming too late. It's a black pill you. No, 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 no. You see from a few things, you their entire modus operandi is wearing our jerseys to score points for the other team. You expose their jerseys, the game is up. And that's what we're gonna focus on. So join our teams. We we need a, a team leader. In South Dakota, Montana, we'll focus on other states as well. Get back to some national stuff. They're voting on that stupid tax bill later tonight. Let me know. Let me know what you want to focus on. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Please send this show to everyone you know and empower them that it doesn't have to be that way. In that sense, woe and lamentation is really where it's at. This is red-pilled woe and lamentation, not black-pilled. And that's really what Jeremiah was. You could repent. But the more we don't do this, the more the grifticon that has been created since 2016 is going to not just empower the establishment, but utterly retard the brain cells of the grassroots so that we have no movement left to fight the system because everything is the system. And that's just the way it is. Till tomorrow, Micah 6-8... God bless y'all.